We're in a series called The Great I Am. The Great I Am, and we launched this Easter Sunday, and we've been walking through the Gospel of John, just looking at who Jesus Christ announces himself to be. And in fact, he uses seven I Am statements, and uh, as he walks through those I Am statements, he makes clear the truth of what it means to interact with him. And uh, the I Ams, he started out, we looked at on uh, Easter Sunday, as he just said, that uh, he was the I am. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And that was sort of setting up the seven statements. He was making clear of his eternal existence from eternity past to eternity future. Christ has it all. He is the I am. And then he put seven statements of I am and then filled in the blank, right? And uh, let's just go down the line on those. I am the bread of life. Man, he brings hope from heaven. And like they looked to the skies for manna back in the Old Testament, so also Christ is our everything that brings life. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. He is the door and the good shepherd. And those two were kind of tied together in one little moment as he was talking through things. He is the door and the good shepherd, kind of both interacting similar. Remember the shepherd sits in the doorway of the sheepfold and protects the sheep and doesn't let them out or in except at the right time. He's the door and the shepherd. And uh, Jesus Christ, so he's the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd. He's also the resurrection and the life. And uh, man, just a huge week as we walked through the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And Christ has power over death and sin, and he brings life. And all of God's people said, and we better get that, he is the resurrection and the life. We have ultimate hope in him. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. There is one way, one truth, one life. It doesn't say he is a way, a truth, and a life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, Tim, that's not very American. Like, I thought we were supposed to be real understanding, and we kind of allow people to have their positions, and please hear me. I am all for letting people try to figure out the giftedness and the uniqueness that they are in Christ or what it looks like to go after something in a special way, but please hear me. The moment you challenge what truth is, try to set it down just because you want your way, we define that as a temper tantrum in our home, right? And uh, no, temper tantrum is not biblical, all right? And God does have a plan, and he does have the way, the truth, and the life, and that's the end of it, man. That's a biblical position. And uh, may not be American, fine, let's be biblical. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Man, this is who Jesus Christ is. Those are six awesome statements, and we're going to look through a seventh one today. We're looking at, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And so let's dive into Jesus Christ as the true vine. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine. Man, if we're going to understand this passage, we're going to make sure, we are going to have to make sure we understand a little bit of what came before it, all right? And so in John 13, just a chapter and a half back, there's some things going on there. And do this with me. Turn back to John chapter 13. And uh, just go to like verse uh, 9. John 13, verse 9. 
This is Jesus. He's going to wash the feet of the disciples. And he's made some statements about, hey, I'm here to wash your feet. Peter, of course, being the bold one, he stands up and he's like, not my feet, man. You're too good for that. Don't want you washing my feet. And then Jesus is like, no, really, that's the plan. It has to come down. And then Peter has a statement. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Like, go ahead and wash all of me. And Jesus is like, no thanks. Uh, Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. Back it down, dude. I'm just here to wash your feet as you walk in the filth of the dust. I'll wash that. You should have taken a bath today. Please care for that. And I'm just going to wash your feet. But it is completely clean. And you are clean. Hear this now. But not every one of you. Right? He's talking to the disciples here. And he's like, you are clean. But not every one of you. What does he mean by that? Well, John explains right after it. For he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. He's talking about Judas. Everybody say, that's Judas. As he's talking to the disciples, he's like, you're clean. Well, not all of you. There's one of you that's got something going on. And in fact, if you jump down to verse 21, we get a little more insight to Jesus in chapter 13 there. It says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He's beginning to feel the weight of Judas betraying him and what will come from that. And uh, just a few more verses forward again. Go to verse 29. He's trying to explain what's going on as Jesus has now had this talk with Judas. And he's described to John, hey, there's going to be the guy that I share bread with here at the table. That's the guy who's going to betray me, right? And uh, he had said to him, go ahead, do what you're going to do and do it quickly. Verse 28, now no one at the table knew why he said that. Have you noticed how many times it says that? John was very real. Dude, we were clueless. We didn't know what was going on. And verse 29, some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus, Jesus was telling him, uh, go ahead, buy what we need for the feast or that we should give something to the poor. And uh, so after receiving the morsel of bread, this is Judas, he immediately went out and it was night. Some were clean, one wasn't. That one was going to betray and that one left. Don't forget that that's the context as we dive into today's passage, all right? So Jesus is walking along with them, and he's the ultimate teacher. And as he's walking along, you can only imagine how many vines there must have been around, and Jesus decides to use it as a moment to speak to, right? And so that's where we jump in as Jesus being the ultimate teacher, teacher here with some of the grape vines around him. Jesus points, and he's like, I am the true vine, starting in verse 1 here of chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He's like, I'm the true vine. I'm not just a vine. I'm not just the vine, but I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine, guys. Like, look around. You see all these grapevines? Nothing compared to me. I'm the true vine, and there's a lot that's going to happen in me. He said, my father is the vine dresser, literally there, the farmer or the gardener. He's going to take care of these vines and grow them up. And uh, what does the vine dresser do? Well, I just wrote a few things down here. The vine dresser, 
Man, he tills and prepares the soil. The vine dresser is going to make sure that the soil is ready to grow something in. Okay? And this is the father's work to till and prepare the soil. Uh, he also protects and shapes the branches. He tries to set them and weave them. He gets some branches set up into the sun and others separated apart. And he's trying to make it so this vine can be vibrant and fruitful. All right? And so he's setting up the the soil itself, as he tills it, he's also setting up the shaping of the branches, and then he also does a lot of pruning, uh, clipping back that which needs to be taken away because it is uh, not bearing fruit at all. And uh, this is the role of a vine dresser. And uh, when he says, this is my father, that's a big deal, man. This is God's work in our life, preparing the soil and shaping and allowing us to get more of the sun and being able to clip back that which needs to be removed. And uh, this is God in our life. And it's a huge, everybody just say it's a big deal. Dude, it's a big deal. And uh, see, all too often we're like, he's not the vine dresser. He's my magic genie. I want what I want, now give it to me. This God thing doesn't work very well. I'm not seeing this really come through, and maybe it's because we need to start seeing him as the vine dresser who's doing a huge work, and maybe he's tilling the soil, or maybe he's moving things around and shaping, or maybe he's even doing some pruning, and, and it's a huge deal. God's got a job to do in our lives, and he's got a purpose in it, and uh, may we let him do that. It says, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. And we're going to talk more about this phrase in just a little bit. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. But I just want you to notice two things. The word take away and the word prune. See those two words? The one that's not bearing fruit, he takes away. The one who is bearing fruit, he prunes. In fact, he's got a little play on words going on here in the original language, which we kind of lose in the English. So I'll just tell you, there's a word called ire in the Greek. Ire, that means take away. Ire, to like remove away. And then there's another word, kathire. You hearing the same in it? It's ire and kathire. Now, kath means like catharsis, like goodness, right? This good thing coming. And so now we're removing so that goodness can happen. So there's ire, removing away, and then there's kath ire. And he's using those two words side by side. So as he's speaking to them, you would have gotten this kind of response. Oh, right? And for us, we're like, wow, those are two very different words. What's happening here? But he's kind of doing a little play on words. Sometimes the whole branch needs to be removed because it's just dead weight, no fruit at all. And sometimes there's fruit bearing on the branch, but you just need to clip parts of the branch, just little pieces of it, in order to make the whole that's doing well just vibrantly um, provide fruit, okay? So that's what's going on here. The two words being played with as he shows the taken away and the pruning. Man, if you've ever done any work with pruning, you know, clipping away the dead stuff helps this thing go vibrantly rich, and not clipping it away gets you this nasty, gnarly mess of branches all intertwined in some leaves, and it's not nearly as thick and rich. And that's what he's talking about here. In fact, he says right after it, purpose statement, that it may bear more fruit. That it may bear more fruit. Guess what? We just read the purpose statement of God the Father in your life. That you may bear more fruit. 
See, and how often are we more like that I might be more comfortable, right? That it might go more well for me. And he's like, no, actually, that you might bear more fruit, more and more fruit. What does more fruit mean? More maturity, more character, more insight, more passion to who God the Father and God the Son are, more grasping of what God the Holy Spirit is doing, God in you changing you. 2 Corinthians 3, Holy Spirit's glory transforming you, more fruit, you looking more like Christ, not you having a more comfortable moment here on earth. Everybody say, not that. I know, some of you are like, fine, I'll say it, but I don't want to, right? Not that. Yeah, it, it really isn't about our comfort. It is about our maturing and our growing that we might bear more fruit, purpose statement in it. And uh, it says that we might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now remember when we went back to John chapter 13, he said, you all are clean except for one right? Now Judas has left. And so here he just says, you all are clean. Judas has removed himself. The one who was the dead branch, the one who was not trusting in Christ, the one who would betray him, the one it says in John 13, had Satan enter him. That one, not clean. And, uh, but these guys, well, these guys are the disciples and they're getting it. It says already, that means like at this point in time, it's true. You're already clean. Just so you know that word clean, it's actually the exact same word as prune. Exactly the same. You all have been pruned, and you are ready to explode with vibrant fruit. That's what he's saying. He's like, get ready, man. You have no idea what's about to come. I do. There's going to be a moment where one of you stands up, and you start preaching about who Jesus Christ is, and bam! 3,000 people saved right there. I'm telling you, get ready. The fruit's about ready to explode on this vine. You boys are pruned and ready to rock. And uh, the word literally means to be pruned or cleaned. So they used both of those, one when he was using the branch analogy and one when he's talking to them as people, but it's the exact same word. You've been pruned. You're ready to explode with vibrant fruit. And uh, what were the pruning shears that he used? Because of the word that I have spoken to you. Because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus Christ and the challenge of who he is and what it means to be saved, to come to him and to believe in him. That's saved. To come to him and believe in him. And they're, they're getting who Christ is. They're growing in this process. They're learning as they go. But they are pruned and ready to explode with fruit. And a huge privilege in it. Now he says here, command statement. Uh, Abide in me and I in you. Abide. It's a command. And everybody just say, it's a command. It's a command. It's a command. So now let's go to our first point. Stay. As the branch is connected to the vine for life, so we must abide in Jesus. And the word abide literally means to stay, okay, to remain and stay. As the branch is connected to the vine for life, so we must abide in Jesus. And we are called to this. This is a command form. Get this done. Spend some time with your Savior and know him. Remain in him. Draw life from him. 
It's a huge deal. And uh, Abide. I just wrote these words down here. It means to draw life from. Picture a branch connected into a vine and it's drawing its life from there, right? To abide is to draw life from. But I connected it back to our prior series as well. Think of these three words. Encounter, exalt, engage. Remember those words? And uh, Okay, let me just ask that with more, more answer. <laughs> Encounter, exalt, engage. Do you remember those words? Yeah, yeah me too. Here's, oh, here we go. Encounter, exalt, engage. Let's just talk about it for a second. Encounter, like digging into God's word and seeing who he is. Right? What did he just say? You are cleaned by my word. Get ready, man. This is how God's word can be a part of pruning us. Lord, teach me, show me, reveal to me who you are. Encounter the living God. Be blown away with his grandeur in awe of his greatness as you dig into his word. Man, every time you open up his word, simple prayer. Lord, show me how great you are. I'm ready to see. And then you go after it. Everything is about trying to see his greatness as you go to encounter his word. Okay, that's the first piece. Now I've learned about how great he is. I've learned something in a passage I've looked at. What do I do? Exalt. Lift him up. Right? We talked about three facets to it. Behold, where you're raising up your arm. Lord, you are awesome. Look at how great you are. Behold. Right? And then drop your arms and stop fighting. Be still. Stop the battling against that God and start listening to him. Be still. And then get on your face before him. Be filled as you confess your sin, as you reveal what needs to go, as you long for him to be in charge. Be filled, okay? Man, that two-punch, encounter and exalt, where you behold and be still and be filled. And God starts doing a huge work in you. And, and things start changing. You start being shaped from the inside. The glory of the Spirit changing you. And then the next one, engage. Man, step out and start doing some action. We're going to see it even in this passage. Obedience is a part of transformation. If you're like, God's changing me. I'm not doing anything different whatsoever. I'm still the same sinner I've always been. I'm still train wrecked in my own self. But God's changing me. Dude, how? Where? If God's changing you, some passions will change, some understandings will change, your worship will change, and your actions will change. Encounter, exalt, engage. Man, you want to know what abide is? That's what it is. You get that three-step down, and it starts rocking your world as you draw life from him. His word being the pruning shears that leads you to an exalting worship before him and stepping out in obedience. And we're going to see this abiding play itself out in this passage. All right. Huge deal. Now, as we keep moving here, it says, abide in me and I in you. The beautiful moment is we're not just doing the work of abiding. Christ is also remaining with us. It says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Did you know that? We're like, yeah, this is common sense, Tim. If the leaf isn't connected to the tree, it doesn't do real well. Right? That's what he's saying. 
This is the statement he's making. Look what he says right after it. I am the vine. You are the branches. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that? Or are you on the legalistic train that says, well, apart from me, well, I can do some things, Christ. You should see how good I can look on my own. I'm giving that a shot. And in fact, the more I do it on my own, the more credit I get from those around me as they're like, dude, you really got your act together. And I feel like things are going well. And are you on that train? Like apart from you, Christ, well, I can fake it pretty good. And uh, just so you know, that's not real fruit. Have you ever gone up to a table where it looks like there's real fruit, but it's actually plastic fruit, right? It's fruit that bounces, right? And uh, do you have that in your life? Or do you have real fruit going on? Is he actually making a change in your life? You know, a number of years ago, we were homeschooling. When we first transitioned down here, uh, we were in the homeschool mode, and Jana was homeschooling both Megan and Alyssa. And there was a point where Jana was trying to teach some details to Megan about this life and drawing life from. And so she went through a little illustrate on it. And uh, she took one of our plants and she clipped a leaf off on it and set it down next to it and said, now watch what happens. Okay? And uh, so being the genius homeschooled parents that we were, we thought, this will so teach. Right? And uh, the next day, man, that thing was green. It was looking good. And the next day, green. And the next day, and the next week, green. We're like, what are we doing wrong? We're looking at this thing. We're like, is this fake? What's going on with this thing? Sally Green, week after week after week. It went a couple months, two months, eight weeks at the point where we're finally like, I don't know, maybe John 15's wrong. You know? Eight weeks later, all of a sudden, you see the edges just start to curl just a little bit and get a little brown. And then the whole thing starts to go to black. And then it's all just nasty to the point where you touch it and it breaks into pieces. Eight weeks. And how much is that like us? Where we're not abiding in them and drawing from them the way we should be. We're not in counter-exalt engaged. And in fact, it doesn't even feel like anything's wrong. And I seem to be doing okay. And all of a sudden, 8, 10, 12 weeks out, we start shriveling up. And uh, man, may we watch it. Nothing good happens apart from him. If you're doing an instantaneous check and it seems like you're okay, but you're not in the encounter, exalt, engage game, it's time to re-engage, man. It's time to get after it. Don't fool yourself. Nothing good happens apart from Christ. Nothing. Everybody say nothing. nothing. That's it, man. Nothing. We need him and him alone or we are in deep trouble. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. I love this. He's like, there's really two. There's two things. Much fruit, no fruit. Those are the choices. Don't we love to live in the middle? We're like, well, I kind of got some fruit. I'm on the some fruit game. I like little fruit and some fruit. And then I feel good about myself, but then I can go on and do what I want. And just so you know, Christ is like, that's not real. There's much fruit and there's no fruit. 
and watch yourself as you start to love the moment of self and me and drift and We try to live where we're not abiding and we're pulling back. And there's huge cost. And in fact, he even goes into what it means to pull back completely, to actually have never been connected in now. And look at the next verse. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and it withers. Now he's changing. He's like, let's just talk about this dead branch on the tree that's got no fruit. It's been fruitless. And what do we do with that thing? What do we do with a branch? Well, what do you do as a vine dresser with it? Well, you not just cut parts of it out. It's dead completely. There is no abiding whatsoever. And so pull. And that whole branch being pulled out. Please note he's talking to a... a, group of people now that have something very unique going on in their life and that there's a lot of people who have come up with some conclusions about this verse and they're dangerous conclusions, right? And so let's read through it. It says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And some are like, see, you can lose your salvation. I I stop abiding and he'll cut me out and throw me away. So let me just say this. Be really careful when you're reading scripture to make sure you always answer scripture with scripture. All right? Make sure you guide it. And especially when you're talking about things like a metaphor, an illustration, when he starts talking about vines and branches and things that we might look like, make sure you go to the verses that are very clear and very specific and use those as your guide first and foremost, right? And so here's the deal. This is not about a believer who stops believing. How do we know? Well, Check out this verse, John 10, 28 and 29. Just go ahead and write it down. You don't have to look it up. John 10, 28 and 29, it says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. What it does not say, I give them eternal life and they might not perish. We'll see how they do in the end if they don't really. It doesn't say that. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, guaranteed. John chapter six, where he's like, those the father draws will come and whoever comes, I will not lose. John chapter 6, those who come drawn, they won't be lost. Those who believe are going to be saved. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 at the end, 37 to 39, where it says, nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Everybody say nothing. 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 And these are pretty clear passages. Make sure we understand them. How about Ephesians 1? We have the Holy Spirit as a seal guaranteeing our inheritance. Huge deal. uh, Be careful. This is not teaching a believer losing his salvation. This is teaching someone hanging around those who are saved and actually looking like gaining a benefit of. In fact, you could even go as far as saying, in this case, we're talking about the Jews here And they're in the Jewish nation, but not a believer of Jesus Christ. A branch, but not a fruit-bearing branch. And that's a huge deal to what's going on as he's talking about Judas, who's a Jew. And what's going on with that? He's not abiding in Christ. The call to believe. Come and believe. Or there's a removal. And that's what's going on here. It's a very clear, simple statement to those who are Jewish in nature, declared a branch, 
but actually not believing. And he's like, man, where there's no fruit, there's some work to be done. That's what just happened with Judas, right? And uh, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. And uh, look, there's been a lot of argument about the different things that this verse means. And we could go through the four different views of and it probably does mean eternal, and this probably is eternal fire, and this probably is a burn that's not a good thing. But can we just say whichever way you want to settle with it, burned, probably not a good thing. We good with that? Like, it is not good to not abide. We can certainly take that from this verse, right? Let's not go further and try to build some new theology that even contradicts other scriptures with it. Let's be careful with that. But clearly we have a statement that not abiding has high cost high cost, and it's a big deal. And God, may we be very careful in how we manage this with you, right? So up in Naperville, we had a home in Naperville before we moved down here, and uh, we had this bush out at the front. Do you remember this bush? We had this bush out in the front, the green and white variegated one. It was out, well, this is not, like I have no idea what you're talking about. So we had this bush that was probably three times the size of her at the time, and uh, this bush, it looked gorgeous, man. It was shaped. It was perfect. It looked right, right next to the lamppost. It was awesome. And uh, all of a sudden, that bush just started getting a little more gnarly. There were more branches in and through it and around it. And, and I let it go one year where I thought it still looked good. And I went to check it the next year. And it turned out there was like another tree like growing up through the thing. And it was starting to look terrible. And it had gotten high and wide, and most of the branches were dead. So I went in, and I clipped out all the dead branches. I'm like, I will be the vine dresser, right? So I clip out all the dead branches, and like this pile laying behind me. Somebody was walking past on the sidewalk, and they're like, good luck with that. That doesn't look like it's going to make it. I had like four branches left with leaves on them, like this high. And I'm like, this thing looks terrible. I'm going to let it go and we'll see how it does, right? And uh, so I let it go for a, a week or so and it just was horrible. So I went out there and uh, ended up just cutting it down to about knee high, knee high. And then I clipped back some, I started pruning on those branches and then cut out some of the dead weight right in the middle of it and had that thing about knee high sitting there. It looked lame for the next like three months, that whole summer looking terrible. But by the fall, this thing had gotten about maybe six inches taller. Everything had started to fill in. Branches had started sprouting off where the dead was removed. This thing was a little gorgeous bush. And I came out there and I was looking at it. I'm like, man, this thing's looking pretty good. Do you see what I have done? Right? Isn't that what we do? And we don't do any of it. God's like providing the sun and the plant and all of it. All I did is clip the dead weight out and that's it, right? And I'm just telling you, pruning... It's a big work. And then growing and changing is the miracle work, right? And God's doing both at the same time. God the Father is the pruner and the grower. All we can do is a little bit of prune on some physical plants. God's doing some pruning in our life and in a huge way. So I just wrote some words down here. How does God prune? Let's just write these down. How does God prune? Five ways. Number one, he allows trials. He allows trials. And I'm just going to say the second one real fast. He allows consequences. And those are different. 
He allows trial and he allows consequence. So what's the difference? Trial, that's the thing that comes along when this world is broken and you just taste of broken, okay? And something happens to you. You didn't do anything wrong. It just happened to you. That's trials, all right? And something goes sideways in this world just because it's a broken world. Consequence, well, that's like you did something dumb and it costs you, right? And God allows both of those in our life. Man, make sure you're an expert on which one you're experiencing, If you're going through a tough circumstance right now, is it a trial or a consequence? You'll grow a lot more if you start grasping, did I cause this? Is this reasonable consequence for my action? But God allows both of those to shape us, to get our eyes back on him. Allow trial, he allows consequence. Third one, he removes distraction. Or maybe another way to say it, he removes dead weight. Things that were going to hurt you. He removes distraction. This could even be positive things, blessings that he's holding back in your life because honestly, you would have made it all about the blessing. And he knows it. And our heart would have gone so about the thing. And so he holds back a little bit on that and says, yeah, we're not gonna do that. I really want you looking over here right now. And so there's a removal of the distraction. This could be friendships. And have you had a friend step out of your life that you're lamenting deeply. Hear me on this. That could be God doing some serious pruning in your life that's of great help to you. Could it be that this was a friend withering on the vine at best, no life, no fruit, dragging you down, and it was time for some change to happen there? And trust God in these things, whether it's a trial or a consequence or the loss of a friend, or a blessing in some way, man. Be wise to what God's doing and know this. Your Father loves you, and He's doing an amazing work in you. These are some prunings in our life that we can walk through. Here's another one, uh, His Word. Uh, He illuminates His Word into our life. It's said very clearly that you are pruned, you are clean because of the Word, and His Word. And uh, getting into His Word, grasping His Word all the more, And then the last one, uh, his Holy Spirit glory. His Holy Spirit glory. Those are his prunings and how he ends up then getting growing to occur in your life. And trials and consequences and the removal of distractions. How often when we go through these things do we say these words? God, what are you doing? Don't you see how faithful I'm being to you in this area? And now you're doing this to me. Careful. The vine dresser is working. Allow him to work in your life and watch God move. And what are you going through? Be right here, right now, today, devastation as you're in the midst of it. Hear me. Allow God to do a work in your heart that will grow you in ways unbelievable and trust in him. He is the vine dresser. He is the good shepherd. He is the true vine, God Almighty, at work in your life. Let him do an amazing work in you, all right? That's point number one. Point number two, pray. Pray. If we do abide in him, our thoughts align with his and our desires align with his. So pray confidently and watch God work. Pray. If we do abide in him, our thoughts align with his and our desires align with his. So pray confidently and watch God work. 
Notice here we start out in verse 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Everybody say if. All right, there's a conditional on this thing. And uh, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. What does it mean to have his words abide in you? It means you know his word, you believe his word, and you live according to his word. Right? That's what it means to have his word abide in you. You know it, you believe it, and you live according to it. Man, if that's going on where you're grasping his word, where you're grasping who he is, where you're abiding in him, you're encountering, exalting, and engaging. I get who you are, God. I'm stunned with your greatness. Get ready, because the next part is huge. If you do that, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So many of us, we hear the second part of that verse and we're like, I knew I was supposed to be able to ask for anything I wanted. And, uh, but we blow off the first part. And it is about abiding. And if we don't abide with him, we miss it. And we miss out huge. And uh, please note here the word ask. You might want to write this down, this little note. It says, ask whatever you wish. It actually, in the Greek, in the original, it says, ask for yourself. It's tied into it. It's in the middle voice. Ask for yourself. Ask for yourself, and it will be done. How often are we taught to pray for others, but not for yourself? That would be selfish. And that's a mistake. That is not what Scripture says. Uh, Scripture's pretty clear. Ask, yes, even for yourself. And it will be done for you. When? When you abide in him. When you grasp what he's doing. Now I'm just telling you as you're abiding in him, here's what you're going to get a sense of. Lord, this is what I want. This is where I'm at. Like I'm starting to feel it and I'm abiding with you. And all of a sudden you start getting this inkling. I'm not sure this is where God's going at all. I'm not even sure I should be asking for, right? True abiding. It'll almost give us the no before we've gotten the no. We start to get that God might be doing something else as we abide. And he shapes that in us. Or we're abiding with him. We're like, Lord, I just feel like you're going to say yes to this. It seems so. And as I look at and as I continue to abide, it just continues to seem. And we get very confident of this yes, right? And then there's times where we're even not even sure. And we bring in the if clause, Lord, if it be your will. Look at Jesus Christ, obviously perfect in his abiding. And yet he said, Lord, take this cup from me. But not my will be done. Your will be done. Like I can tell there's something going on and I know the original plan and I grasp that may still be in play. But if it's not, I'm great with that. And if it is, then I'm great with that. And abiding brings us to a willingness to hear his will and then pray for it passionately and powerfully. Move this world with prayer. Dude, we do not pray enough. And all of God's people said, yeah, we look at prayer as, I don't know, God's gonna do what he's gonna do, so whatever. And uh, we're missing it. We have a chance to participate with the Almighty in the midst of life. And he does work with us and shape us. And as we abide in him, there is power in that prayer. As you pray for God to reveal into your life, as you pray for God to show you something that needs to take place, as you long for work to be done on your knees before you're doing any work. Make sure you pray first. Right? How often, isn't this the American way? First I do, then I pray that God would bless all that hard work I just put in. Right? Isn't that manipulation, manipulation at some level? Isn't that really? We're just like controlling God. We're like, God, I've spent a lot of time here. 
So I'd really appreciate it now if you would just answer yes to this as I've put in a long day of work there. Would you please not bless this? And then we walk away and it doesn't happen and we're like, prayer doesn't work. And uh, be careful. Make sure you're praying first, passionately, powerfully, longing to hear and see his will, abiding in him, encountering, exalting, engaging, that God might show you exactly what he's doing in your life or that around you. And then pray passionately that God move there. And he will do that in your life. That's the promise. And uh, you have other passages that border this, right? James 4, if you ask that you might consume it on your lust, the answer is no. And uh, so we understand that there's no's just, be, just because we say it doesn't mean it happens. But I'm telling you, if you ask on your lust, you are not abiding in him. It's a moment where we're trying to isolate ourselves, okay? This is an awesome promise. And just so you know, this is the second command in this passage. The first is abide. The second is ask. That's a command. And in fact, it's in the middle, so it means ask for yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that in a passionate, powerful relationship with him and then strongly seeing where he's moving and asking him to be a part of that there. That's when God will reveal huge things in your life. And, uh, it is amazing when you see answers to prayer and it is life-altering. I know as we came into ministry, we have some very... Uh, precious times of prayer that were answered in the moment. Lord, please reveal to us if we should be buying this house or not. And we were up north. We hadn't even talked about senior pastoring or anything like that and, and uh, hadn't even really been in ministry yet. Lord, just show us, should we be in this house? That morning, I'm not kidding you now, that morning, come up to the elevator, go to press the button to go up, guy walking in, he's like, hey, dude, we haven't seen each other in a while. How's it going? I'm like, eh, it's going good. How are you doing? He's like, good. Got a moment? I'm like, yeah. What's going on? He goes, I need to talk to you. We go to a conference room. He closes the door. I'm like, dude, what's up? He's like, Tim, there are not good things going on around here. Get prepped. There's a lot of down cycle coming. Your department's going to get hit huge. If you are looking at any kind of major financial investments, don't do it. Are you kidding me? I didn't even tell him. I just looked at him. I started smiling. He's like, what? And I'm like, we were looking at a major financial investment. We're done. It's over, right? We're going to hold on that. And God used that so that we weren't overcommitted in debt so that we could take a nice pay cut jumping in and starting to pastor up there and go after it. God works, man. Pray that his will might be done. And he moves. And he moves. And he moves. Do you believe that? God moves in prayer. Trust him and abide in him. You will be rocked by what he answers. I mean rocked. And it'll last with you for a lifetime of giving you faith. The early African believers, when they were approached by a missionary, they were taught about what it meant to work with God and abide with God. And they taught him about this devotional time, this getting alone on your own. So they worked the ground all day long, right? So they ended up keeping one area, they left it as a thicket, just this very thick area, and each of them got a little spot in the thicket where they did their prayer time. And so they went forward in the thicket, and they got down on their knees, and they would pray there, each of them in their spot, day after day after day after day. Well, you can imagine in the thicket, you ended up knocking down the path and creating an open area, right? And it was huge what went on. 
So they ended up seeing all these little paths in and this little area where they were on their knees. And, and then some guys would decide, eh, maybe I'm not so much into prayer right now. And, and they wouldn't go as often. And it started to grow up. And the phrase they used with each other was, brother, grass grows on your path. How are you doing? Brother, grass grows on your path. Hey, question. How's the grass on your path? How's your prayer life? Some of you are like, it's a jungle, man. I haven't been there. And uh, it's time. It's time to understand that abiding in him is not just where we get. It's also where we come rushing to the feet of the Savior and pray with all we've got. And knock that grass down. Get to your place. I will tell you, a strong way to pray is to have a place and get there regularly, get there daily, and get after it with your God where you're encountering, exalting, and engaging, and there's prayer that happens in it. God moves in prayer. And all of God's people said, all right, third. Obey. True abiding involves real obedience. Listen to Jesus and follow well. Joy is the guaranteed fruit. Obey. True abiding involves real obedience. Listen to Jesus and follow well. Joy is the guaranteed fruit. Look at verse 9. It says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Do you know how to abide in his love? Abide in my love. Well, he actually gives us the answer in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You want to know how to abide in his love? Obedience. Abiding in his love is obeying what he has to say. He's in charge. Are you letting him be in charge in your life? Stay, pray, and obey. And this is the third part of the command. Again, he goes back to the the command is actually abide in my love. But he tells you how. By obedience. The third command is really obedience to him. Stay, pray, and obey. And he makes it really clear. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Did you know that in this broken world, you may have full joy? Did you know that in this world, in the midst of it going completely not the way you want, Despite the circumstances, joy. His joy in you, your joy spilling to the top and filling over joy. Man, who doesn't want joy? Right? We're like, why would we not want that? Right? So we've kind of changed the word, and in the Christian realm, joy means um, trying to fake your happy. Doesn't it? Because we always realize that there's tough circumstances and we realize that it's sucking something out of us. So we're like, joy, I... Dude, it is unbelievably satisfying. Fulfilling to the max, spilling over and pouring to the ones next to you. And here's what I love. This church is filled with joy. And uh, man, as people come in and they're visiting for the first time, they're like, this is a friendly place. Like, I don't know anybody and I met five people today. Right? And I love the friendliness and the warmth and the joy that's spilling over. And uh, hear me, obedience brings joy. I'm not very joyful. Where are you not being obedient? It's that simple. It really is. It's not more complicated than that. 
What am I putting ahead of him? Time for him to be in charge. Stay, pray, obey. Please hear me. So many people teach obey. But stay and pray are out. They don't talk about abiding. They don't talk about life in him. They don't talk about the fruit that comes from being attached to him. They just talk about doing works. And down with that, we cannot muscle it. Nothing good comes without Christ. And all of God's people said, stay, pray, then obey. Abide in him. Ask of him and obey him with all you've got. God will rock you with his joy. Absolute fulfillment. That's him, the true vine. Let's pray.